right, welcome back to another episode of Film Junkies with Griffin Trey. I'm Griffin Schroeder, and at this point, if you've watched our weekly video, you saw that this week, it, we're going to switch things up a bit. Um, it's just going to be me on the podcast this week, so we're going to see how things go <laughs> with that. Uh, we decided to go along with a couple of the requests that we've had from some of our listeners where people want to know, you know, that decision of what should I watch on Netflix or deciding what movie to, to watch for the night, and so we decided to do for the next couple weeks trey and i's top five uh, must-see movies on netflix um, but we didn't want to try and cram 10 movies into one episode and so what we're going to do is just have this episode be me talking about the top five movies that i think you should see on netflix and then next week trey will do the same thing with his picks so uh, without further ado i'll get into my list here I did want to say, though, there are obviously thousands of movies on Netflix, and it's a long list to choose from, but I decided I wanted to not only give you some of my favorite movies on Netflix, but I wanted to choose films that might not be commonly known. And so kind of towards the end of the episode, I'm going to do essentially like a honorable mention list where I talk about, you know, a list of movies that I definitely think you should watch, but I think that are mostly kind of well-known, critically acclaimed movies that you probably would have heard of before I mentioned them on this podcast. So uh, with that, I want to start out at number five being Beasts of No Nation, which is a film that is a Netflix original. Um, it got a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and I've got it up in, up there in the 90s as well as far as my uh, review goes. Um, but this film follows the journey of a young boy whose name is Agu, who is forced to join a group of soldiers in a fictional West African country. While Agu fears his commander and many of the men around him, his fledging childhood has been brutally shattered by the war raging through his country, and he is at first torn between conflicting revulsion and fascination, but it depicts the mechanics of war and does not shy away from explicit visceral detail and paints a complex difficult picture of Agu as a child soldier so this film if you didn't get anything from that it uh definitely has some hard topics here and, and draws on some real events although the story is um, fictional it was written and directed by Kerry Fukunagu um, if you're not familiar with him he also wrote and directed Maniac which is uh, another Netflix series which starred uh, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone and then the most recent thing that he's done is directing the third season of True Detective as well as writing the screenplay for that which is a show that Trey and I are both really big fans of that one actually starring uh, the third season starring Mahershala Ali who we've mentioned several times as one of our favorite actors but the only actor in this film uh, Beasts of No Nation that you might recognize uh, is Idris Elba, who actually received a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in this movie. But like I said, in terms of casting, he's kind of the one that you would know. Uh, the director actually casts real former child soldiers and members of various factions from Sierra Leone and the Li Liberian Civil War for this film, just to try and make it as realistic as possible. Um, and even use some of those child soldiers as consultants on the film to make sure that they really did hit home as far as these topics they're they're discussing in the film. So it was shot over 35 days in Ghana, which actually led to the director contracting malaria. So definitely didn't pull any punches here. It was a film that you can tell has a lot of emotion in, 
in it and is a passion project for the director, seeing that he wrote and directed it. And this was actually the first Netflix original film that was ever released. Um, So I actually remember watching it when it came out, and I was immediately drawn into this, not only for the story it tells, but understanding that Netflix doesn't mess around with the content that they release, and to start off with a movie like this was definitely notable for me. Additionally, it was actually the first non-documentary film distributed by a streaming service to be nominated for major film awards. So a uh, tip of the hat for them as far as being um, coming out of the gate strong, as Netflix always does with their content. I also wanted to mention, too, speaking of streaming services and content being released, we just found out that uh, we have a date for uh, Disney Plus, the streaming service uh, that Disney's going to come out with, where we've talked about in a couple episodes where Disney's been pulling most of their content off of Hulu, Netflix, all the other streaming services because they've been trying to put together their own type of service and they actually just released it's going to be coming out in November of this year. Uh, it's going to be $7 a month and it looks it looks awesome. But <laughs> this that's for another episode. This one is about uh, Netflix. That's my that's my number 5 pick. Uh, and so going along with that, my number 4 pick is Ex Machina which Rotten Tomatoes gives a 92% as well. This film is a bit higher for me. I'm I'm probably at a 95 on this one. Uh, to be honest, not a lot bad to say about this movie, except for the, uh, the uncomfortable emotions it gives you, which I don't think are bad things as far as the uh, topics discussed. But this movie uh, centers around Caleb, a 26-year-old programmer at the world's largest internet company, who wins a competition to spend a week at a private mountain retreat belonging to Nathan, the reclusive CEO of that company. But when Caleb arrives at the remote location, he finds that he will have to participate in a strange and fascinating experiment in which he must interact with the world's first true artificial intelligence housed in the body of a beautiful robot girl. So another uh, pretty in-depth uh thought process behind making this movie it was actually uh written and directed by alex garland he also wrote and directed annihilation which is another psychological thriller that came out in the past year which was also very good um had one of the only all-female casts of the films that were released uh last year uh from big production companies at least uh, so this was actually Alex Garland's directorial debut, and for any of you that have seen it already, I think you can agree this was a great way to start out here. With Annihilation as well, you can tell this guy definitely has some very interesting thoughts about um, the way the world works and how to bring that onto the film screen. Uh, this film was very well received. It was nominated for two Oscars, uh, original screenplay and best visual effects, uh, of which it won the latter uh, in interesting thing was that it actually went up against a few big budget films that year which i'll talk about later but um it did win for visual effects which was awesome to see and the visual effects are incredible in this this film like we said being about an ai uh woman how or an ai being i guess housed in the body of a woman um which was actually played by an actress alicia vikander who was actually nominated for a golden globe for her performance as ava the ai woman featured in the film but speaking of the cast actually this film also features a couple notable names uh donald gleason who i first recall seeing on black mirror uh which is another excellent netflix show that dives into topics just like the ones that this film features um he gives a great performance in this and definitely likes to uh as i've seen in interviews with him jump into those kind of psychological thrillers and and be in roles that really challenge the status quo of where we're going uh, as far as technology goes Um, another name you might recognize is oscar isaac who we actually mentioned last week appeared in the end credits of into the spider-verse as spider-man 2099 and you 
might recognize him or he might be best known for his role as Poe Demarion in the latest Star Wars films, which coincidentally also featured Donald Gleason in the most recent film, The Last Jedi, which we also got the uh, teaser trailer for the new Star Wars movie a couple days ago, and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but like I said, with the uh, with the cast there, and then speaking of Star Wars, like I mentioned, the recipient of the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects was made only on a budget of $15 million, which was... Ex Machina had $15 million budget, and they won the award over several big-budget movies like Star Wars, which had a $200 million budget, Mad Max Fury Road, which had a $150 million budget, and The Revenant had a $135 million budget, all nominated for Best Visual Effects, but the uh, the film with the $15 million budget won, which I know Trey likes to mention budget and box office and whatnot a lot in the uh, episodes when we're talking about films, just to kind of give you a, a picture of things. For me, that kind of ties into why the topics discussed in this film are so hard-hitting and why they last with you. Because they didn't spend a fortune to make this movie, but the the ideas that are underneath it are so well portrayed on screen that it sits with you in a way that you won't forget. And then director Alex Garland has described the future presented in this film as 10 minutes from now. And he says he means that if somebody like Google or Apple announced tomorrow that they had made Ava, we would all be surprised, but we wouldn't be that surprised, which definitely is true as far as uh, the things you see in this film and the way things play out. But for me, this film is mysterious, elusive, and scarily reminiscent of the direction we seem to be going in terms of technology in our society. It will leave you at the very least uncomfortable, but if you're like me, you'll be amazed. Definitely check that one out, coming in at my number four spot here. But moving on to number three, I have Coco with a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this is a film that I constantly tell people to watch. Um, it's one that kind of stepped out of, uh, I guess, not that Pixar has a formula. Obviously, they have something figured out because they make incredible movies. But this one dealt with something a little bit more... Uh, specific, and I think they 100% made another incredible movie. But the film Coco goes like this. Uh, Despite his family's baffling generations-old ban on music, Miguel, the main character, dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol Ernesto de la Cruz. Despite trying to prove his talent, being desperate to do so, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful land of the dead following a mysterious chain of events. Along the way, he meets charming trickster Hector, and together they set off on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. So this film centers around the holiday celebrating Mexican heritage, uh, Dia de los Muertos. From from the first time I saw this film, I felt it was just an immaculate depiction of the beliefs held by those who celebrate this event, as well as a simply magnificent display of animation, which is obviously expected by Pixar at this point. Um, but like I said, it's, it's a topic that's more uh, serious to some and definitely tackles some issues of heritage, not issues, but um, some way people display their heritage, the way that they celebrate life, death, uh, the celebration of both of those things, and and really showing what it means to be a family, and, and at the root of it, chasing your dreams, which we see throughout this. But I can't stress enough how incredible the Pixar team was with the animation on this film. I, I couldn't believe at some parts of it that what I was watching on screen. But this film was actually written and directed by the team of Lee Unkrich and Adrian Molina. And while these might just sound like names to you, a Pixar buff like me knows that these two men have actually been involved in some way with almost every major 
Pixar film that has been released in the past 20 years, which uh, is an accomplishment in itself. But once again, I think these two definitely delivered. Coco was actually nominated for and won the Oscars for Best Original Song for Remember Me and Best Animated Film of the Year in 2018. It also won the Golden Globe for this award, as well as being nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Song. And so this film definitely was well-received by critics. Anytime I've read a bad review on this film, I think that person might have just uh, either been holding a grudge or was was seeing the film on a bad day. It's it's an incredible story. It's very heartwarming. It's it's hard not to get emotional watching this film. But it actually was a uh, pretty long uh, project in the making. This film was in active production between 2011 and 2017. So it set a record for being the Pixar animated film with the longest production schedule Uh, and I saw a lot of interviews with the two gentlemen that made this film and they said that they did extensive research even traveling to Mexico several times Adrian Molina is actually uh, his family is from a part of Mexico and so he went back to visit with his relatives and uh, actually the grandmother in Coco was loosely based off of Adrian's actual grandmother um, which is a, a cool touch there but they definitely took their time with making this like i said the animation is incredible they they make sure everything is timed up well uh fun fact actually when a guitar is being played in this film the cartoon character's fingers actually match the fingering of the actual chords you would play on a guitar which that's something that i at least that i can recall has never been done before in an animated film they usually you know you you don't really expect that but the fact that they went that extra step to show that definitely helps the film and being centered around music it's an important thing i guess that they decided to put in there and i appreciate it at least (laughs) um but the fans of this film they were uh not a small crowd uh this film actually grossed over 150 million dollars worldwide in just five days which is unbelievable uh and it actually spent more days at number one at the box office than any other animated film in the 21st century which that speaks for itself as far as (laughs) being an incredible accomplishment um but it, it goes to show that this is a, a great film one that i love watching i own it i have it in 4k as well because like i said the animation is unparalleled um it's a story that if you like pixar this is one that regardless of if you believe in or celebrate this culture or the different heritage marks that you see in this film it's definitely something that you can get involved in and at the very least open your mind to a different culture and and see it in a in a story that um you know is very very well told and is heartwarming at the very least Uh, the main character miguel played by a 12 year old gentleman who is an incredible singer incredible voice actor we see a a great cast here that brings this to light definitely recommend that one Uh, and then moving on to my number two pick i have switching it up a little bit not from a uh, feature film but a documentary film this is 13th which is a a film that got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is one for me that's right up there uh, pushing 100 as far as my review goes. But to give you a, a little look inside, this film is an in-depth look at the prison system in the United States and how it reveals the nation's history of racial inequality. So the film begins with the idea that 25% of the people in the world who are incarcerated are incarcerated in the U.S., although the U.S. has just 5% of the world's population. So 13th charts the explosive growth in America's prison population. In 1970, there were actually about 200,000 prisoners, whereas today the prison population is more than 2 million. The documentary touches on slavery, D.W. Griffith's film, The Birth of a Nation, which we talked about uh, in our Black Klansman episode, 
It touches on Emmett Till, the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Richard Nixon, and Ronald Reagan's declaration of the war on drugs, and much more. Uh, so this film, <laughs> just from that, shows you they don't they don't pull punches in this documentary. They talk about things that, in my opinion, definitely need to be talked about, uh, and it pulls back the curtain on a lot of things that we want to get out into the public and, and that I think are important as far as uh, making a change and realizing the types of things that are going on in our country that we like to kind of sweep under the rug. But this film was actually written and directed by Ava DuVernay. She has also written and directed uh, multiple other documentaries focused around different aspects of the African-American community, including including being the first African-American woman to win the prize of Best Director at the Sundance Film Festival in 2012. So she's definitely been a kind of front-runner, poster child for uh, African-American women in film as far as um, creating documentaries and, and bringing to life these issues that they see every day in their culture. But uh, speaking of awards, this film was actually nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature, as well as winning the BAFTA Award for the same award. Additionally, it was nominated for eight Emmy Awards, of which it won three, which is an incredible feat to do. Um, you also don't commonly see uh, documentaries that are nominated for Oscars also nominated for Emmys. Um, but this was just kind of a way that since it was released by Netflix, it's actually uh, the 26th Netflix original documentary. Um, they they were able to break into a couple different facets of, of television and movies. But this definitely does add to that long list of original Netflix content I had mentioned before. And on top of that Netflix content, which has been nominated for awards or won major film awards, uh, they, they have a long list here that they actively add to every year uh and it's documentaries like this that i think truly create a larger scope as far as what they're putting out in the world and create content that people in my opinion really need to see uh, like i said so this film touches on several important issues pulling back the curtain on the racial oppression we have built this nation around as we discussed films like black Klansman in the past on our podcast which is based on a true story but add some theatrical notes this documentary is based on fact loaded with just statistics and stories that will cause you to face the truth um it's one that i recommend to people commonly uh when we're having discussions and as you've seen or heard me talk about in previous episodes would trade uh reins me back in before i get <laughs> too off topic as far as uh, going into political rants and discussions and whatnot um trey and i usually seem to be uh pretty eye to eye as far as um, political things go, but I do enjoy having conversations with people who might be on the other side of things with me. Uh, even if it does frustrate me at some point, I, I come from a background of having a parent who essentially now is the complete opposite of me, <laughs> but uh, growing up with his kind of oppressive views and, and not being able to explore into the different things that I found that I'm interested in now, I really do like to have an open dialogue with people who, as they say, might be on the other side of the aisle as I am just to kind of understand where they're coming from. And in a, in a lot of times in my experience, I've I've been able to kind of show people hey, here's a different way of looking at things. And even if I don't completely change your mind, this is something that, uh, you know, at least you know now or you're aware of. Um, I've had that happen with, with several people, some of my friends even, that I, I've talked to them about issues that they didn't know facts or, or stories behind before. And, and now at least they're more educated about the topics. Um, this film is definitely something that plays into the opportunity of educating yourself as far as historically accurate tellings of events. Like I said, using statistics, using facts, using things that actually happened and showing interviews, showing audio, video, everything that you can imagine to 
kind of encapsulate this oppression, as I stated, in this country and um, really discover some things that we don't like to talk about, but that I feel need to be talked about. This film definitely does an incredible job addressing a lot of those things. So that's my number two film of uh, must-sees on Netflix. And my number one film is Boyhood. This film is is incredible. <laughs> Just to start out, uh, it has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. I actually have 100% for this film, um, as does another film rating uh, website, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But Boyhood, if you haven't heard about it, is was a groundbreaking film, still is a groundbreaking film. I haven't ever seen anything like it since. It was actually filmed over 12 years with the same cast. Richard Lankladder is the director. His film Boyhood is a groundbreaking story of growing up as seen through the eyes of a child named Mason. He was played by Eller Coltrane, which is a breakthrough performance by him, who we literally see growing up on screen before our eyes. It also stars Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette as Mason's parents and newcomer Lorelai Linkladder as his sister, Samantha. Boyhood charts the rocky terrain of childhood like no other film has before. Snapshots of adolescence from road trips and family dinners to birthdays and graduations and all the moments in between become transcendent. Set to a soundtrack spanning the years from Coldplay's Yellow to Arcade Fire's Deep Blue, Boyhood is both a nostalgic time capsule of the recent past and an ode to growing up and parenting. So a lot in there as far as my... uh, kind of encapsulation of uh, the plot of this film. Like I said, some mentioned some people in the cast there. One cool thing that I mentioned at the end as far as the soundtrack spanning years from different songs, this film actually didn't have an original score. It was all put together based on music that was popular in each year of the 12 years of this family's life that are covered in the film, which is awesome. But like I said, the film was written and directed by Richard Linklater, and as mentioned, it was filmed over the span of 12 years. So the film was actually only shot over 45 days, but it was shot from May 2002 to August 2013, which roughly speaking is spanning more than 4,000 days. Um, and they just shot uh, you know, briefly each year to kind of capture different aspects. The film was critically acclaimed upon its release. It is one of only 11 movies to receive a Metascore of 100, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the site there uh, that was given from the highest possible score that be obviously that can be attained from a professional movie critic on the review site Metacritic, which I've I think I've talked about before. Metacritic is kind of my favorite site to go to because it's a collaboration of professional film critics posting their reviews as opposed to Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb that post user reviews. So this is strictly people who literally have careers writing reviews about movies, which I aspire to do one day. So to see 100% from that site definitely shows how great this film is. But so far, as far as uh, Metacritic goes and giving out that perfect score, it's the only film to receive this score upon its original release. They've had a couple films that I uh, have been released, and then later on, they've kind of been able to come up to that score. But as soon as this film was out, it's it's maintained that 100%. Additionally, as far as critics are concerned, or the way that this film was received, it actually received six Oscar nominations, of which Patricia Arquette won one for Best Supporting Actress, as well as being nominated for five Golden Globes, which it won for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actress for Patricia Arquette again. And as mentioned, this film also features Ethan Hawke as the father who gives an incredible performance in this movie, as he does in, in all of his movies, in my opinion. He's a, he's a great actor and was a great addition to this film. Um, and then Eller Coltrane, who plays the boy of the title, was seven years old when the movie started filming and 19 when it finished 
Uh, so another kind of interesting perspective to see there. This film being shot over 12 years, you'd think like, what a crazy contract. How did they draw that up? I actually found out that a couple of film organizations that kind of work to make sure that things are being or actors are being treated fairly as far as uh, the filming of of different movies go have a limit on the amount of years you can be contractually obligated to a project at I think four or five uh, and so these actors just freely and willingly decided that they were going to be a part of this film for 12 years which for actors and actresses like Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke is is an incredible thing because they're both very successful and easily could have moved on to different projects and not come back but they stuck to this because they knew it would be something incredible and obviously they were right um but Richard Linklater the director as I said cast his own daughter Lorelai Linklater as Samantha the the daughter in the film because she was always singing and dancing around the house he said and wanted to be in his movies at about the third or fourth year of filming she lost interest and asked for her character to be killed off in the film however Linklater refused saying it was too violent for what he was planning uh, and then Lorelai eventually regained her enthusiasm and continued with the project which I'm, I'm glad she did that would have definitely been a uh, dark turn although there are several uh, dark aspects of this film that that make it incredibly real and uh, interesting thing to watch um, that I've recommended endlessly to people but continuing on that that topic of of recommending and, and people talking highly Christopher Nolan the acclaimed director actually re- revealed that this film was his favorite film of 2014 <laughs> despite himself actually directing Interstellar, which came out in that same year, uh, which is another incredible film. It's just funny to see that one of at least my favorite directors said that not even his own film of the year was his favorite. And on top of that, President Barack Obama's favorite film actually of 2014 was Boyhood, as he stated. Coincidentally, they actually uh, featured a portion of his 2008 campaign speech uh, in the film. So (laughs) who knows if that had something to do with him picking it as his favorite, but regardless, he did say that, and and for the president to... uh, to say this was his favorite film of the year, obviously, or I hope at least uh, should give you somewhat of a uh, note of confidence as far as the content shown on screen here. But Ethan Hawke also had some personal ties to this, as I assume all the people involved in it did, considering it it took up so much of their lives. Um, But considering they came back every year to try and, you know, film a different part uh, of the characters on screen lives, obviously things had changed off screen for some of the characters. (laughs) One funny thing uh being that the director of this film actually asked Patricia Arquette not to have any plastic surgery done because he thought that it would wouldn't make sense for um the mother's character and to refrain from that and she said that it was a interesting thing but she definitely or she said that she did uh keep up with that and didn't do any plastic surgery for at least those 12 years (laughs) um but Ethan Hawke actually presented in the film uh his fictional son with the gift of the black album on his 15th birthday which is in it's an awesome thing I, I wanted to mention it because the Beatles are my favorite band of all time and I love all their music I love I've listened to every album and the white album is one of their you know, more famous albums. And so in the film, Ethan Hawke creates the Black Album, which is, as he describes to his son, a collection of all the best songs from all of the members of the Beatles um, together and in their solo careers. So I found out actually in real life, Ethan Hawke compiled the individual Beatles songs into the Black Album uh, to help his daughter Maya deal with the breakup of Ethan Hawke's marriage to Uma Thurman, uh, which is sad but also very interesting that like like I said over those years he had that heartbreak in in real life and then wanted to bring it into this passion project film to show that you know this is something that I experienced in my family and this film is about uh, experiencing things together as a family and they they added that in there so I just think 
while this film breaks boundaries and shows just how marvelous film can be, it leaves a lasting impression. Personally, it allowed me to connect with the struggles of growing up in a broken family, trying to hold each other together while also trying to navigate personal obstacles. So of the five films I've discussed in this episode, I feel that this one displays the most genuine and touching story. It's from start to finish a film that you don't look away from. It is a little bit lengthy, but when you, it's, I think it's three hours, but we, you're filming a film over 12 years. I think three hours condensing it down is a pretty, uh, pretty good editing job. Um, but the film is put together marvelously. It's it's one that um, I endlessly recommend to people. And uh, of the individuals that I know in my life that have seen it, when we've talked about it, it's one that you could talk about it for hours. There are so many things that are relatable in it about growing up from talking to my mom about it, from raising kids to being married to being divorced, navigating your life uh, as a single parent as a single child or individual just understanding the way that life works uh is just beautifully drawn out and laid out in this film and uh it's one that i definitely hope that if you watch one of these five movies that that could be the one because it's uh it's memorable to say the least but moving on there as i mentioned at the beginning i do have a honorable mention list so those were my five films um starting at number five as i said i talked about uh, Beasts of No Nation, uh, a Netflix original film. Ex Machina at number four. Number three was Coco, a Pixar classic. Number two, 13th, a Netflix original documentary. And my number one film being Boyhood, as I said. And with that, my honorable mention list, like I said, with my five I wanted to talk about, I wanted to make them more films that maybe people hadn't heard of or hadn't seen in a while and bring those back to light for you. So this honorable mention list is more so films that you probably have heard of. They're very critically acclaimed films, but they're ones that are on Netflix nonetheless, and I think that you should give them a watch if you haven't seen them or <laughs> rewatch them if you're like me because it's always a good time. So uh, I have on that list Schindler's List, Jaws, Pulp Fiction, Silence of the Lambs, Goodwill Hunting, The Hurt Locker, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, No Country for Old Men, Heller High Water, The Departed, The Truman Show, and Her. So those are just a, a quick list of films that I would highly rec recommend as well. They're just some that are probably more well heard of than the five that I in detail talked about on this episode. Um, but I do believe that there possibly might be one on that list that Trey will talk about next week as he goes over his five must-see films on Netflix. But with that, that is my <laughs> solo episode this week, my five must-see films on Netflix. Hope you enjoyed my explanations of all of them, learned a few things. Uh, at the very least, I hope you want to go watch at least one of those films, hopefully all five of them. Um, but remember, uh, give us the as many explanations as you want as to the films that you want us to review on the podcast. We've had a couple people DM us on Instagram avidly trying to talk us into uh, why we should review their favorite film. And if you're passionate about it, there's a good chance we're probably passionate about it considering we went as far to make a podcast about talking about film <laughs> but uh give us your recommendations continue to listen to the podcast continue to watch the videos share it to all your friends and family appreciate all the support guys and thanks for listening to another episode of film junkies with griff and trey <laughs>